Yeah. Uh, thank you, Paul, for the introduction. And thanks for the invitation. I feel uh, honored to lecture at this prestigious uh, center, which I heard yesterday ranks highest uh, among the theological faculties in Great Britain for, uh, for her research. And I thank in particular Karin and Paul for inviting me. Uh, since I do not feel that comfortable in English, uh, my second language is German uh, and then English came later on, I will read a prepared text and that will last for about 45 minutes. Uh, the leading aim of my research is to elaborate a social scientific analysis of religion in modernity. I am a sociologist, I am not a trained theologian. Please note that I am speaking of religion in modernity and not of religion against modernity. Modernity is defined here as modern society, the type of society we live in since about 1800. <coughs> Applied to churches, my research questions are how do the main churches change in relation to modern society? What is happening nowadays to the main churches in Western late modernity? And can they remain major churches, or will the decline of the last decades continue unabated until there are no major churches left? These last two questions, what is happening nowadays to the main churches, and can they remain major churches, will be my target questions for today. The Catholic Church is my case in point, but I hope that others can make inferences towards their churches. I'm teaching... Uh, as has already been said, at the Faculty of Theology, the Tilburg School of Catholic Theology. And it strikes me that theologians are always so optimistic. <laughs> they assume from the outset that their church not only will last forever, but also that it will always be central to society and a prime issue for the individual human being. I feel obliged to tell you uh, another story, a rather pessimistic story. I admit that it is in my personal nature to do so, but I, feel, I fear that it is the reality that is awaiting the main churches in general and the Catholic Church in particular. In my understanding, the Catholic Church in Western modernity is shrinking to a frail minority church, and we don't know how minor it will become. The church has to work in worsening conditions that differ fundamentally from those before 1960. And there is no consensus among Catholics on how to respond to the new situation. In these circumstances, I consider it important to elaborate a realistic overall view that offers some orientation to what is going on and to what might be possible to do. It is a task not only for so social scientists, of course, but also for theologians and uh, philosophers and others. I hope in this lecture to contribute a little to that task. I have divided my lecture into three sections. In the first two parts, I will present the theory of change of the Catholic Church, based on theories of modernity and religious modernization. When we conceive religion as embedded in modernity, we can relate changes in religion, in this case the Catholic Church, to changes in society. 
Since society is changing fundamentally since uh, after 1960, I see also Catholicism changing fundamentally after 1960. It is in the midst, uh, the church is in the midst of a transition towards a new church regime uh, that I uh, call choice Catholicism. We, we come back on that. In the second section, comprising part three and four, I'll try to imagine, because that's what it is, ways of thinking the future of the Catholic Church. Quite often, this imagining of the future is done by contraposing two scenarios, a conservative and a liberal one. I will show their shortcomings, and in particular I will plead for going beyond these abstract and dualist scenarios, in order to think the present and the future in a more realistic way, through what I will call a realistic ecclesiology, for want of a better name, a realistic ecclesiology of a minority church that is presenting parts that may lead one nearer to a fulfilled life. Such an ecclesiology has to explore and deal with the major changes that are facing the church and the substantial opportunities for answering them. In essence, the church is threatened by becoming irrelevant. Hence, it will have to rethink in what resides its attractiveness and how the Christians, Christian ideals and message can nowadays be of help to the life of the individual human person and to society. In the third and final section, covering parts 5 and 6, I will review some two of these challenges and reflect on the strategy that can be pursued. I want to state from the outset that while I tend to feel myself on rather solid, rather solid ground in the first section, because it's more historical and empirical and I have thought longer about it, I am quite unsure about the following parts on scenarios, ecclesiology, challenges and strategy. In particular those on realistic ecclesiology and strategy are, uh, I think, speculative. It is the first time that I am presenting them, so please don't shoot me. <laughs> part, uh, let's go to part one, conceiving church change in modernity. The Catholic Church today is changing deeply and in many respects. To get a better view on these radical and disruptive changes, it is mandatory to have a theoretical framework at one's disposal that can account for these changes. In particular, it is necessary to clarify the relationship between uh, the Catholic Church and modernity. In the old conception, still cherished by many, the Catholic Church is regarded as the opposite of modernity. There are two versions of this oppos opposition model. The non-religious partisans of this view see religion as oppressive and childish and modernity as secular and liberal with religion inevitably uh, losing ground. The religious partisans of the opposite model, mostly of a conservative bent, consider religion as a stable ha haven against a deranged, shallow and egotistic modern world. I think that the oppositional view on both sides is wrong. The first reason is that 
these are idealistic and reductionist views. They put one, one's high values against the low values of the opponent. Religions and modernity are both much more than high or low values. They are complex worlds one is living in. Second reason why they are wrong, the oppositional view is simplistic too, since it is imagining religion and modernity as two contrasting and monolithic entities, a supposedly immutable uh, religious tradition against a supposedly liberal modernity. Both views are wrong. Religion is changing and modernity is not only secular and liberal. Uh, in reality, church and modernity are closely connected, whereby both church and modernity are seen as intricate and mutually intertwined worlds. Modernity is the encompassing world and the Catholic Church is part of that world. From the beginning of, the mod of modernity, the Church has been <coughs> interacting with, has been processing this modern world, and as a result, it has become modern, meaning that the Church takes on new shapes that are wedded to and embedded in modernity. I give an example, uh, the deepening of the individualization process after 1960. It is, it is visible also in the contemporary uh, uh, Church. And this is done both by conservatives and liberals, though in different ways. Conservatives are also embracing a choice of religion, and in this sense individualization, uh, as it is in their eyes demanding total commitment to a religion, because you cho uh, choose for, for it. Liberals, on the other hand, embrace individualization and stress individual consciousness and autonomy as consequences of, of individualization. The new view of the interrelationship between and indeed of the embeddedness of religion and churches in modernity allows for a more realistic and a more historical view on Catholicism. Instead of pitching Catholicism against modernity, we move to a view that focuses the attention on the changing uh, of Catholicism in modernity, on the modernization processes within Catholicism, within Catholicism, on the modernity of Catholicism. Though many 19th century Catholics would uh, probably disagree, the 19th century conditions of modernity were propitious for building up a strong Catholic Church. As a result, it was able to socialize deeply major parts of the population and to mobilize them in great masses. The conditions in late modernity for major churches are less enabling and more constraining. And uh, I give three reasons that the conditions are worsening. First, religion is no longer commanding society. The, uh, it is no longer of concern to decide which party to vote on, which partner to marry, or with what book to read, as it was in the past. Second, the religious field, the broader religious field, has metamorphosed from a steady state in which one or two main churches dominated the whole scene to a turbulent field with fierce competition from many corners, uh, pluralization of uh, uh, religion. 
and third and most decisive of all, in the, in the eyes of the, of the faithful or the, or the prospective faithful, religion must be helpful to live, to, uh, for the living of a good life. And it seems very difficult for the Catholic Church and for the other main churches as well to convince people that leading a godly life and in particular uh, in engaging in church life are the primary routes towards human fullness. So the conditions for the reproduction of the Catholic Church as a major institution are worsening. There is thus some grain of truth in the oppositional view of religion and late modernity. But it, this is no ground to revert back to the crude, crude view of a religion outside modernity. On the contrary, we should investigate how the Catholic Church nowadays is managing to construct itself again in the difficult conditions of late modernity. So, from against to in. Second part. At, uh, let's uh, make this more concrete for the history of Catholicism in the last, last two centuries. The framework that I presented focuses on how the Catholic Church is reconstructing itself again and again under the ever-changing conditions of an ever-changing modernity. Now sometimes change is accelerating and coming in a package while at other times uh, what's in place continues to be largely maintained. Looking at the past 500 years of history, we can detect three different time periods. One might say that the interaction of the church with the modernity of the time led in each period to a characteristic church formation or church regime. The first church formation is that of early modern Catholicism in the time from the Reformation and the Council of Trent until the French Revolution. In that era, Catholicism emerged as a distinct confession in an uneasy alliance with monarchical absolutism. I won't pursue this regime further. The second uh, church formation emerged after the French revolutions, a Revolution when conditions had substantially altered in comparison to the time before 1789. The third church formation is beginning to take shape since 1960. I interpret the present time thus as a transition period with all the concomitant confusion between a former church regime and a new one. After the French Revolution, uh, early modern Catholicism, which was built up uh, upon the alliance uh, of church and absolutist state was replaced by a church formation that I characterize as ultramontane mass Catholicism. Ultramontane because Catholicism was in the 19th century modernity rebuilt anew with Rome and the Pope as the towering all-guiding figures. That was not so the case before. And mass Catholicism, since the masses of the population were more than ever assisted in their life from, from cradle to grave, thanks to the improved church organization, the abundance of priests and other religious personnel, and the founding of a whole array of organizations, and that there is where pillarization uh, comes in. The new church formation of ultramontane mass Catholicism took shape between the French Revolution and the First Vatican Council. 
After 1870, Catholicism continued, of course, to change, but it did so within the basic structures and outlooks that it had established in the decades before. Since Pope Leo XIII, at the end of the 19th century, a host of organizations were founded in secular areas, such as Catholic trade unions and peasant organizations, and sports and leisure associations. In the 20th century, uh, Catholic action type of organizations were encouraged. The Pian era, the series of popes that took the name of Pius, ended in 1958 with Pope John XXIII. After the Second World War, and especially after 1960, the modern world changed in so drastic ways that Catholicism, through its interaction with the new modernity, changed again fundamentally. And that's the, the trick that I apply each time. Society changes, and thus also Catholicism and the Church of the other churches changes through the interaction of the Church with the new societal conditions. And that's also the case here. Many of the existing structures and practicing practices that were so characteristic of ultramont and mass Catholicism were suddenly no longer convincing. For example, neo-Thomist theology, the Latin, the Latin culture, clerical guidance in all areas of life, the church-led organizational world. As in the decades after 1789, Catholicism thus found and finds itself again in the midst of a transition towards a new church formation. As said, that is a difficult and confusing period. It is still too early to say how choice Catholicism in the end will look like and how well it will fare in the decades to come. Yet some major characteristics are already apparent. Let me name a few. In my view, the singular most important new characteristic is that all people are now choosing whether they engage in the religion and moreover whether they will do so in Catholic religion. Religious commitment is no longer determined by birth. Hence my characterization of the new church for me <coughs> as choice Catholicism. And it is no coincidence that the German sociologist Hans Joos has presented recently a similar name. Uh, he calls it optional Catholicism instead of choice Catholicism. Choice implicates the second basic feature of the new church formation, uh, namely the power reversal between clergy and laity, or better, between ministers and those they serve. Instead of a subservient laity to a mighty clergy, as before 1960, the erstwhile sheep have now transformed into a critical and wayward public or clientele, always ready to quit. The church has lost its enforcing power. I could uh, go on to name more features of the new church that uh, are clearly already the result of its interaction with late modernity. I name a few. The delocalization of the uh, local activities of the parishes. The increased internal pluralism within the church. The religionization of the church, uh, by which I, uh, I mean the loss of, uh, organis uh, of power of the church, of organizational power of the church in more, in more secular areas, uh, like politics, 
economics, uh, sports and so on. Uh, there is also definitely more flexibility uh, within the church uh, with regard to its organization and programs. You only have to look at what is happening uh, at the parishes or when uh, uh, the sacraments, first communion, uh, confirmation and so on are prepared. There is a preference within the church nowadays for experiential religion and for events like the World Youth Days. And there is the increasing multiculturalism of the world church. All those uh, features are typical, one can say, for uh, late modernity. Contemporary Catholicism is highly different from ultramontan mass Catholicism before 1960. There is no going back. Just as ultramontan mass Catholicism was a faithful expression of the first modernity in the 19th and early 20th century, so does choice Catholicism bear the marks of, of its being active in late modernity. Part 3. Beyond dualistic scenarios. Now I come to the more speculative part where I am more unsure. I consider the theory of church change in modernity, what I have presented so far, as the backbone of my perspective. But alas, with regard to the future, we enter uncertain terrain. We don't know how well this new choice Catholicism will fare in the end. Will this new church become reduced to a small and irrelevant church, or can it manage to remain significant? How may she achieve continuing relevance? And what kind of church will this be? Though it is impossible to answer these questions for good, I will present in what follows another approach than is usually being followed, a more empirical approach. Quite often, uh, the future of the Catholic Church is indeed taught in terms of a dual scheme. A conservative scenario is then placed opposite to a liberal one. I will argue that we have to think beyond them. Paul will be pleased to hear that, I suppose. The main problem for the Catholic Church is not an ideological problem, liberal versus conservative. The main problem is the loss of relevance. But let us first take a critical look at the two opposing scenarios. First, the strict church model, or the temptations of sectarianism. As the Catholic Church is becoming smaller, a substantial current within the Church is advocating a strict church perspective, pleading for radical opposition to liberal and secular modernity, and demanding that all Catholics should be real Catholics. I want to stress uh, that this is not a weird and obsolete outlook. It is possible that the Catholic Church will end up as a small, strict church. Highly institutionalized religion has become ipso facto suspicious for many people. And moreover, real psychological mechanisms are at work in institutions that are becoming marginalized. For example, young seminarians training for the priesthood are nowadays faced with so much hostility and contempt that the rebuttal of the world from their side is understandable. But the drive towards sectarianism has more to it than psychology. The real strength in my eyes of strict church Catholicism is that it has a devotional program to offer. 
While liberals in the 1960s and the 1970s were doing away with pilgrimages, Eucharistic adoration, the rosary, the veneration of Mary and the saints, and so on, the opponents to liberalism were and are clinging to these as they see it expressions of true Catholic faith. They develop, moreover, new outlets for strict faith behavior. New moral crusades in the personal sphere were set up against the libertinism of the age. New organization and organizations and movements emerged, in particular a number of new ecclesial movements. In some, conservatives have a religious program to offer that is attracted for, uh, attractive for a committed yet small minority. Nevertheless, the limitations of the strict church strategy are clear. It would reduce the Catholic Church to a small, disgruntled and irrelevant group. It would not be perceived by the population as, as, as Cardinal Eck of Utrecht, my Grand Chancellor, uh, who is a uh, proponent, strong proponent of the conservative scenario, has put it, it uh, this he thinks that by only allowing real Catholics, the church will again uh, become an attractive church, bearing sparkling witness. I am citing him. Uh, I think this will not be the case. The population uh, will perceive such a strict church rather, uh, rather as a weird group, uh, as what is commonly called a sect. Moreover, becoming a strict church come down, comes down to an ab abdication, a renunciation of trying to be uh, the light of the nations, Lumen Gentium, the ideal that the church has pursued through its entire history. And yet, given the worsening conditions for reproducing highly institutionalized religion in late modernity, it is not unthinkable that the Catholic Church would, would end up as a sect. The reverse of the strict church strategy is an outward liberal strategy of opening the church towards modernity and of tolerance vis-à-vis -vis dogmatic doubts and non-orthodox behavior. Liberals typically plead for values like pluralism, individual autonomy, bioethical liberalism, gender equality, for the abolition of celibacy rule for priests, for intra-church democracy, for dialogue, and so on. The major strength of this option is that it is sensitive to changes in values and behavior in modern-day society. A church that is willing to adapt to changes in society has a greater chance of getting goodwill for its measures. And because it favors an inclusive stance towards Catholics of all sizes and faiths, it has a greater chance of welcoming a larger part of the population. An open attitude and stress on the permanent need for renewal might also foster an openness for new opportunities arising for new ways of being church and imitating Christ. But there are also limitations, and I hinted already at the most important one. Liberals, I think, don't have an elaborated devotional program to offer. It is all good to support the call in society for freedom, ecology and democracy, but why should people turn to the, to the church to live these values? Likewise, advocating liberal church reforms, like inner church democracy or wider access to the priesthood, 
will not attract people to engage in the church. On the contrary, it will for sure provoke ten tense conflicts with the conservative wing in the church, and the ensuing polarization uh, would drive people away. Liberalization is no panacea for future growth. Another important limitation of the liberal scenario is that for a long time to come, there will be no majority within the Catholic Church to implement it. Pope Francis can hardly be called a religious liberal, and he has already to cope with rising protests from conservative circles. I hear you say, but in reality there are in the Catholic Church today no organized conservative and liberal factions. That is true. And yet we encounter these opposing scenarios time and again. They are not only presented by proponents of one of the two models. Often one is arguing for an in-between position. The church has to be open, but at the same time stands for its, uh, stand for its message. The in-between position is then taken by default out of lack of another perspective. That's not enough, uh, because it leaves, uh, it leaves what one wants to achieve and how to attain it vague and indistinct. One has positively to describe the future church. And this implies leaving behind the dualistic scenarios as well as the something in between. How might I do this? In the final sections of my lecture, I will present an approach that I think might constitute a way forward. My, my overall view, in, just that in, uh, I will explain part four, the overall view comprises three facets. Realism of the analysis, a view on the church as a minority church and a reinterpretation of the core appeal of Christianity. In all instances, relevance is the key word. First, realism. My proposal does not start so much from the shining future of a normative superposition, conservative or liberal, but from factual differentiated analysis about the position of the church in late modernity. A theory on religious change and the thesis that we are in the midst of a transition towards a new church formation. Uh, and I for the worsening conditions for the reproduction of major churches in late modernity. Within this new context for churches in late modernity and in view of relevance, an identification of the major challenges and opportunities. And last but not least, a consideration of implementation and strategies of small steps towards change in the intended direction. Instead of a, a grand normative stance with a grand strategy like the two models we discussed, my proposal endeavors to break down the present church crisis in a number of challenges and implementation strategies. Indeed, the many ch challenges are demanding each a problem-by-problem -problem approach. They are demanding a number of appropriate, to, to, uh, though not fully satisfying, solutions. Yet at the same time, it is important not to lose sight of the encompassing setting that challenges and partial solutions are part of. And that is the transition to a new church formation in the conditions of late modernity. I regard such an approach as a realistic view on the church and its possibilities to present its religious message today. 
I called the approach provisionally and in, the, and in the hope that the ecclesiologist might join in a realistic ecclesiology. The second facet regards a view on the Catholic Church in late modernity. What kind of future church is emerging in the era of choice Catholicism? I think that the decline in numbers and societal stature of the Catholic Church will continue, at least for a while. As a result, the Catholic Church will become a smaller minority church. In view of the power reversal between clergy and laity, and the hated competition between churches and religious groups, the church will need to cater for an audience or a public. Um, and the only option left to do uh, this is through an appealing offer. Western Buddhism may be an example of the potential of str such a strategy. Appealing, eh, this, uh, appealing to, uh, catering for an audience through an appealing offer. The number of self-declared Buddhists in the West is puny, yet the appeal of Buddhism is quite great. Buddhist-like meditation is practiced well beyond Buddhist centers. Mindfulness and the ideal of tranquility are even more widespread. It is not the Buddhist organization that has effectuated this diffusion, but uh, in the main the appeal of its offer. The Buddhist scenario might, I think, be an example for Catholicism and for other main religions. The presence and appeal of a religious offer that is fruitfully embodying the longing for the holy will ultimately decide the fate of the Catholic Church. That's my main thesis. Third facet of this encompassing view, future view of the Church, concerns the core promise of Christianity. The attempt to live in God's grace brings one nearer to the fullness of life. Also this promise, pointing to the relation between God and man, which is a positive relationship, needs to be, in part, translated anew for the settings in late modernity. There are many aspects and you will understand that I, as a non-theologian, am very to engage myself here too much. But let me point to two desiderata. The need for a translation towards this world, and the need for a translation towards individuals, the individual human being. First, in the past, a rather literal interpretation of uh, Christianity enabled the popular depiction of the fruits of one's commitment to God and the Church as uh, being rewarded in the afterlife in the form of going to heaven. Today these literal interpretations, heaven and hell as places in the afterlife, uh, no longer convince uh, most uh, people. The promise of fullness of life should, in my view, not being delayed until after that but presented as also being attainable, part of course, in this life. Second, in our times of individualization, the promise of a fulfilled life needs to be imagined also at the individual level. Christianity, and in particular commitment to the Catholic Church, is often presented or has often been presented in terms of taking effort, of demanding obedience, of selfless behavior, 
yet one should also and even in the first place show that doing religion, practicing religion is beneficial because it is liberate, liberating the individual person from the prison of the self and society. Challenges. A minority church that aspires to be relevant for people should as attempt to lay out paths that may lead towards <coughs> sanctification, to use uh, an old world for fulfilled life. Consequently, presenting a fitting and appealing offer constitutes the main challenge for the church to come. This main challenge is linked to a number of other challenges that are related to uh, instituting church in the conditions of late modernity. And I uh, name here a few. The revitalization of parishes and grassroots organizations. How to address the public at large. How to insert faith practices in, the, in daily life. A strong, a, such a strong point of Catholicism before 1960. The renewal of the Catholic milieu after the decline of most of the pre-1960 Catholic organizations. The running of a multicultural world church. So there are many challenges, of course, and I will only review two of them. The religious offer and the lack of priests. I want to make clear that also on the level of coping with the many challenges, it is crucial not to fall back into the easy opposition of conservative versus liberal ideals, but to devise in each case realistic strategies. First, uh, the religious offer. As said, the Catholic Church now has to convince people that religion, and more so its religion, the Catholic religion, is needed to lead a better and more fulfilled life. Presenting a fitting religious offer has thus become decisive. In my opinion, the Catholic Church is failing in just this respect. And this is the main direct cause of its decline. Between 1800 and 1960, an extensive and widely used offer for the regular faithful was present, and for the non-regular faithful as well. Sacraments and sacramentals, daily prayers, fasting, devotional sodalities, dedication to a saint to which one felt particularly connected, educational opportunities, the wide-ranging field of social and cultural associations, were all regarded as being delivered or made possible by the Church. Many of these forms have now disappeared, or they have lost appeal. So the biggest challenge for the Catholic Church is to build up a new and diverse religious offer, in line of course with the Catholic tradition, an offer that is relevant for the individual person to help live his or her life. The elaboration of such a new, fitting religious offer is a huge task. It should be taken to hand methodically by the church hierarchy, and this is not done. To be fair, there has been widespread innovation, even after the waves of innovation of the 1960s withered away. I think of World Youth Days, of the new movement, of spirituality centers, and um, but a systematic methodical effort is uh, failing. Second, on the lack of priests and religious. The ample availability of priests and male and female religious has always constituted one of the strengths of Catholicism. 
They led the parishes, the missions, hospitals, schools and Catholic associations of all kind. In all likelihood, it seems that this long era is coming to an end. Given their central position in the Church, how to deal with the shortage of priests and religious is a major issue. Conservatives favor more effort to raise the number of occasions, with few results. Liberals favor the widening of the access to the priesthood to married men and women, to the dismay of the conservatives. A way forward might be not to change the conditions of access, but to give more room and responsibilities to trained lay people, to administer parishes and deaneries, to give pastoral counsel, to conduct also solemn services, which means, which means narrowing the gap between Eucharist services and prayer meetings. This comes down to a mildly liberal strategy. It will still generate, uh, generate stirrings among conservatives, but there is a fair chance that most of them will stay aboard. Ultimately, it will depend on the future number of priests and religious how far the strategy of diminishing the gap between priests and laity will lead us. If priests would become rare, very rare, and I consider this likely, lay people will out of necessity have to, have to take over the church. In fact, the policy of extending lay participation in the church has been followed already since at least the 1950s. So now the final uh, part, it's on strategy. If it is uh, possible to draw already provisional conclusions from our very short review of only two challenges, I would say that it shows that one doesn't need to think in terms of two opposing scenarios, nor of an unarticulated middle position. On the contrary, one needs to invent new and substantial solutions appropriate to the specificities of each challenge. However, Strife within the church is a fact. Put in more general terms, internal pluralism uh, within the church has increased in late modernity, while at the same time the institutional and cultural forces of the church hierarchy to contain pluralism have lost strength. The question is whether it is possible to thrive with this internal pluralism or whether this, uh, this uh, increased internal pluralism will lead to permanent inter internal feuding and overall paralysis. Seen in this light, avoiding inner church polarization is the first prerequisite for a lasting reform policy oriented towards raising the level of relevance. <coughs> Rampant polarization and radical liberal proposals for reform prompted the backlash in the Catholic Church in the 1970s. Conservatives were convinced that major traditions of the Church were threatened. Liberal exuberance and the drive that, that everything has to change are absent nowadays. Liberals are more moderate and cautious, and I suspect that with the hindsight of the 60s they will remain more prudent. In order to avoid that internal pluralism is fueled into polariz uh, polarization uh, and, uh, anew, 
A realistic ecclesiology and a reform policy targeting the major challenges the church is facing might be a help to generate more common ground and at the same time a modicum of mutual tolerance. However, the position that I expounded is not neutral. It demands, as I have alluded to already, a mildly liberal strategy. If the church wants to be heard by the public, it uh, will have to learn to also positively value the changing ethical sensitivities of the majority of the population. Likewise, responding to the challenges will demand a mild liberalism. Closing the gap between clergy and laity is not possible when the clergy wants to retain all its prerogatives over the laity and when the subordination of women is regarded as natural. Bringing a fitting offer to a larger public will not succeed when only real Catholics are welcome. Grassroots revitalization will fail when hierarchical control is of paramount concern in all activities. Only a mildly liberal policy opens up the possibility to remain a relevant church in late modernity. And only if part of the conservatives and liberals will align themselves to these project, projects will the reform policy of the church have a chance to succeed. I consciously speak of a chance to succeed, because indeed the worsening conditions for church reproduction in late modernity cannot be made undone. They can only be dealt with. Thank you.